Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Remain standing. Let's get into the Word. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, very excited about the Word of the Lord for tonight. We've been doing a series entitled Living Life to the Fullest. And uh, we had, uh, we've been looking at a number of things together. And we're going to continue in our series. So I want us to take a look right now at Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Would you read it with me? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things will go with me, And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that on a Maui, a day before Christmas Eve, there are hungry people on Maui that want to be in your house to hear your word, to respond, to honor you, to love you, to express their praise to you. I stand in awe of the wonderful faith that is being expressed through your people tonight. So I'm asking you, Lord, to build their faith in even greater measure. Come on, people, just pray in the Holy Ghost. Give us insights as to what you'd have us be and do. Help us, Lord, to fulfill your purpose and plan for our lives and for our church. So tonight, Lord, I'm asking you'll speak to us. Speak to us and give us ears to hear and a heart to respond and eyes to see. Holy Ghost, come upon this congregation. And come upon me. I long, O Lord, to be able to be used by you to speak your word with power. So Holy Ghost, come. Use me for your glory, I pray. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're coming near the end of the year. A week from now or more, we'll be in 2000. 21. Sometimes about this time of the year we start looking back and we say, well, what in the world have we accomplished? Now you might think, well, let me see, I bought a new car, bought a house, I've got a raise, I, 
I survived the pandemic, hallelujah, we're still alive. But I want you just for a moment to think, when you ask the question, what have we accomplished? Why don't we look at it for a moment from God's perspective? How does he see what we have accomplished? Well, if we compare it to Christ's commission, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, you'll begin to realize that God looks at our accomplishments from the perspective of not only how we're living for him, but how we're influencing others to live for him, making disciples. And you'll notice that Paul, throughout his ministry, has done exactly that. He started churches all over Asia Minor and Greece. But here we see a fascinating dynamic that all of us need to be aware of. It's the dynamic of a mentor and his mentee or student. I did a master's degree in ancient history at the University of Southern California, and part of it, we had three areas of research. One of the areas that I worked on was ancient education, and I came to realize that ancient education was all about mentoring, was all about not just giving information, but having that information lived out. One of the problems of modern education is we have this concept that education is information. And so what's happening, we're not even developing our minds anymore or our lives. We're just figuring out how to get on the internet and get as much information as we can. That's bogus. It's stupid. Because in reality, education should be affecting the way a person lives and thinks. And the greatest problem is that much information that is coming to our young people and even to ourselves has been tainted by the world's evil. And it's grievous. And Paul understood that real education and real spirituality is not how many things you happen to know. It's how you live. In fact, the whole essence of this passage is that we're called to be a living witness of God's grace. And that's what we've been dealing with from the very beginning of our series on living life to its fullest. You know, we've talked about partnership, what the church really is. We've talked about living for a purpose. We even last Sunday morning talked about having the heart of God revealed at Christmas. But you'll notice that the key to discipleship is one little phrase that Paul uses throughout his writings. I want you to write it down. It should be in your notes. And it's here. Imitate me. Everybody say it. Imitate me. Now, let me stop here for a moment. If you told somebody to do that, how well would they be doing? If you told them, imitate me in my marriage relationship, how would their marriage be? Imitate me in my job work, how would they do? 
Imitate me as I raise my children for Christ. How well would you do and how well would they do? That's a scary phrase because we constantly hear this phrase. Oh, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Well, I agree with that. But somewhere down the line, Jesus has to live his life through people. And Paul was not ashamed to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because we all need living examples before us as to how to live. You're not going to get it on the internet. You're not even going to get it in a college class. You're going to get it through a relationship with the Lord who is now living his life through you and through others that help you cement what it means to live the Christian life. And that is what Paul deals with here. Think about some of these verses he says. For example, in 1 Timothy 4, 6, he, he says, you will, be a, 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 you will be good. You'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ brought up in the truth of the faith. And, and he goes on, this, and this teaching, this good teaching you have followed. You'll notice that he says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 14, 16, you know, in fact, Paul calls himself a father to the Corinthian church. And he says, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. In verse 16, he goes on to talk about how he urges them to imitate him. Imitate me, he says. For, and he goes on to say, for this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, who I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I'm teaching everywhere in every church. So here's, here's the interesting dynamic of discipleship. He's saying, I've discipled Timothy, and even though I'm not able to be with you in Corinth, I'm sending him, and I'm reminding you, and he's going to remind you of the way I live, and that's the way you're supposed to live. We don't even think that way anymore. We don't have a clue. There are glimpses of it. You'll see glimpses of it if you, for example, are in business. Let's suppose Don's sitting there. He's an electrician. Well, there's a whole system in the union where you, you become an assistant and then you, you grow and then you become a journeyman and, so, and, and you grow and you learn by working with somebody as to how to do that. We still do that in some trades. But we should be doing that in life. Does that make sense? And so this is what Paul's dealing with here. In fact, you'll notice that um, in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he says, you became imitators. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
And I can go on and on and on and tell you verses that Paul says here. They're very profound. You've got to let it sink in your brain. You see, we tend to make church something you go to like you go to a movie. It's not just going to something. It's becoming what you're called to be. We are the church. Now, we're here to be instructed on how to be the church. We're here to worship the Lord of the church, which is Christ himself. We're here to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us so we have the strength to go and be the church out there. But it's not just going to church like you go to a movie. It's becoming the church. Everywhere we are and however we live and wherever we live and whatever we do, we are the church on that business, in that neighborhood, in that family. We're the representative of Christ. And it's in this passage, oh my, I know your notes aren't real long tonight. Some of you, when you saw it, you said hallelujah. Because lately I've been giving you a lot of notes and you go, oh, will we ever get home tonight? But the profoundness of the short passage in the few notes I've given you tonight, if you'll grab it, you'll never be the same. So let's take a look at the insights into discipleship making. Because all of us are called, whether we like it or not, to be disciples and to make disciples. And that's the title of my message, Be a Disciple make a disciple. So Paul gives us some insights. Here's the first one. Write it down. Take time to be a father or a son. You say, what do you mean by that? Or a mother or daughter. You say, what do you mean take time? Be available. Give yourself to the task. In verse 22, he talks about Timothy as a son with a father. Whether you realize it or not, all of us are going to be fathers to some and sons to some, or mothers to some and daughters to some. You need to take time to learn from your spiritual father, your spiritual mother. In First Timothy 1, 2, he says, To Timothy, my son, in the faith, Commit yourself to be a disciple. And this is what he's talking about. Commit yourself to be a disciple or a mentor. That is one of the two things all of us must become. In fact, we are both at the same time. There are people that are mentoring me. I've had some marvelous mentors. Um, you know, when I went to Korea and saw what God was doing there through the ministry of Dr. Cho, it just boggled my mind. When you're sitting in a church of almost a million people. I'll never forget the moment that, I, I, I mean, I preached at Olympic Stadium with 100,000 people. I've stood on the stage when a million people gathered for a prayer meeting, filled Yoido Plaza. A million people. You couldn't see one end from the other. And they all prayed in unison together, lifting their voice. I thought, oh, Jesus, we don't know anything. The most impacting thing was when I, and I preached in all his extensions. The extensions are 100,000 people. Those are extensions. It just causes your brain to do a flip. 
You go, how does this work? Well, how it works is when you go to the prayer meeting and you see at 4, 4.30 in the morning people praying so loud that the group I brought to Korea with me was sleeping in the hotel across the street. They were awakened by the prayers of the people inside this massive building. That's how loud they're praying. My wife and I were sitting in the top balcony when they, in the middle of the service, they began to pray out loud. It's called a concert of prayer. And everyone lifted their voice and prayed with full voice. Our eyes bugged out, our mouths dropped open, and we said, what in the world? My wife turned to me and said, it sounds like the sound of many waters in the book of Revelation. That's what it was. Heaven came down. And I thought, the American church doesn't know a thing. I get you to praying during a service. If I can get a peep out of you, that's a miracle. We're all so intimidated. Oh. We're more concerned about what somebody's thinking next to us than what God thinks. Oh, come on, guys. You know what I'm saying is the truth. And to get you up in the morning, I'm going to start pretty soon telling all the people that come to prayer meeting to get your number, wake you up at 5 o'clock in the morning or 4.30, wake you up and say, I love you. I'm waking you up so you can go to prayer. I wonder how well that will go over. But that shaped me. That affected me. That was a mentoring moment. I've traveled with Dr. Cho. You pray five hours before service. And he'll pray depending on the spiritual bondage of the city, how long he prays. We don't even have a clue what that is. There are many other mentors. My preaching style is from one of the great preachers, Dr. George Wood, who was a good friend, and I'll have him preach here, a great preacher. Loved the word. I used to sit in his services and take reams of notes, books of notes. That's why I give you notes, so you'd have something to take home to preach to somebody else. Some of you make airplanes out of it. You don't even know what that is. But I have people that have taken copies of every one of my notes for the last 35 years, and they've made books of it. I have one of my pastors that knows every message I've ever preached because he preached it himself to his own people. And I can say one word, and he says, that's the message from this ding, ding, ding. I can't even remember that. But that's how strong a disciple he's become. Some of you don't know what you have. You've not understood the whole nature of mentorship. You have to take time to be a father or a son. Take time to be in. Take time to hear the word. Take notes. Grow in the things of God. If I were giving you a degree, you say, oh, I'm a, I want a BA. You'd go to a class, you'd take notes, you'd do that. Listen, you're getting more than a BA. You're becoming like Jesus. What grieves me probably the most is when I see people 
who only come to church when it's convenient. The devil will make sure it's never convenient. You've got to move heaven and earth to be in church sometimes. There are some people that they will work like mad. If they have to hitchhike, they'll hitchhike to get here. That's how committed some people are. And then there are others who have a beautiful car sitting in the driveway, but they're more concerned about watching a TV program than being mentored in the house of the Lord. Everything starts with take time to be a father or a son. Take time with your children to be to them what you need to be. Some people complain about the fact that their children are weird. Who made them weird? Now, I know every child's different, but you have to be a parent who disciples their children. Some, you need to really clearly um, give them the rod of education. Some, you just speak clearly to them and they obey. It's always wonderful to have a child that does that. There are very few in existence. Most of them are all fallen individuals that you have to fight very clearly to have them do what's right. Take time to be a father or a son. Secondly, see yourself as a co-laborer in the cause of Christ. You'll notice that Timothy was that. In verse 22, Paul says, has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now what is interesting here, everybody listen to me. There are no, we're not kings and slaves. We're all together fellow workers in the gospel. We all have a different role. I have a particular role I must play because that's where God's called me. You have certain roles to play, but we're all fellow workers in the kingdom. And we're all attempting to do God's will. And we're all trying to be fulfilling his commission of making disciples. We walk humbly before the Lord. Jesus himself washed his disciples' feet. I love the way Paul says in verse 20 about Timothy, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Wow. We need to to, uh, brag on each other. We need to compliment each other. Are you still with me here? So take time to be a father or a son or a mother or daughter. See yourself as a co-laborer. And if you're a co-laborer, get busy doing something for the Lord. Please. It would be horrible if you hired somebody and they sat on their hind end the entire time. You say, well, I'm not getting paid. You're not? Uh, There's a God in heaven who sees everything you do and he rewards you. He said you can't even give a cup of cold water in my name without getting a reward. Are you kidding me? Everything you ever do without anybody else patting you on the back, if you do it for the Lord, he will reward you. You're getting paid big time by just being in this house and serving him. So get doing something for the Lord.
I'm preaching better than you're shouting. You know that, don't you? Please. And I'm not here to condemn you. I just thank God for you. You're great people. I'm just saying, look, that's who we are. We're fellow workers. Let's, let's get the job done. Amen. Thirdly, we need to compliment people and give honor. Paul compliments Timothy. In the phrase that I just shared, he brags on Timothy. In fact, he also mentions Epaphroditus in verse 29. Now, let me tell you about Epaphroditus. And, and, and it's not only be compliment people, give honor, but be respectful. Everybody say, be respectful. What is interesting is this fellow by the name of Epaphroditus. He's mentioned there in verse 22. Paul says, but I think it necessary to send back to Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and also your messenger. Now, the actual word there in the Greek is apostolos. It's the word for apostle. He's your apostle. Now, you say, what in the world is Epaphroditus doing there? Well, the Philippian church was always concerned about Paul's welfare. They were the only church that really supported him, and now he's in prison, and they knew that if they did not support him or sent somebody to help him, he could very well die in prison because the Roman government, what, the prisons were holding tanks until you got, uh, went to court. And many people never made it to court because they died in prison. They didn't give them food. They didn't give them shelter. They stuck them in a hole, and that was it. And if you didn't have somebody feeding you, you were dead. So what they did, the church in Philippi, knowing that he's in prison in Rome, sends an ambassador from the church with an offering and says to Epaphroditus, we want, to, we want you to support Paul while he's in prison. Take good care of him. So they send him off to do that. Well, while he's there, he gets sick and he almost dies. Now, this really affected me when I read this. Because he, he doesn't, you know, sometimes we think healing... It, we, we have to be careful about how we understand healing. Look at how Paul understood healing. Listen to me. He says, he says For he longed for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Verse 27, Indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. To Paul... Healing is a gift from God. It's a merciful gift. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul talking. Probably had more miracles in the first century than anybody we know. He took claws from where he was working, put them on people that got healed. This is not a, a lightweight here. But he understood healing is, is, is a mercy gift from God. Having mercy. It's like Bartimaeus crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. God wants to give you mercy. What is interesting, he talks about how they should honor, how they should honor Epaphroditus when he comes home. It's very important for us to give honor. It's very important for us to respect. It's important for us to compliment each other. We need to have a good dose of respect today. 
There's a lot of disrespect even in the house of God. Now listen to me. If you have children, I am so thankful your children are here with you. Sunday nights, we all worship together as a family. That's why we don't have children's ministry. Because when I was a kid, I would sit with my parents. And woe be unto me if I acted up. They'd pull me out, spank the living daylights out of me, and they'd come back. So I learned to be quiet in church and to listen and to sleep. Some of you do that real well. But I'm going to tell you, there were moments as a boy where the Spirit of God would come. And I'd begin to weep. I'm just a boy. And I'd begin to weep in the presence of God. I still do that today when the Holy Ghost I'm a boy. I saw the power of God hit people as a boy. And we had to carry people out of the service. That does something to you. This is not some little religious game. I, some, some, some children have never experienced the power of God because you've never experienced it because you're so dead. Time to wake up. Get your children in the house of God. I feel better. Please. How are they supposed to become disciples of Jesus if they never have an opportunity? Oh, Dad, I'm going to stay home and watch TV. No, you're not. You're living in my house. You're coming with me. That was the way it was in Morocco House. I told you a hundred times, I never got to see Bonanza because it was always on Sunday night. I've seen the reruns, and I'm thankful God brought me to church. Hallelujah. But some of you are dumb. You let your kids mandate to you what they think they should do. What are you doing? Are you being a good mentor? Well, I don't want them to get so angry. They're going to get angry anyways. Maybe the Holy Ghost will touch them. Well, I've said my spiel. We need to be respectful in the house of the Lord. If you have a baby and it's crying, don't just sit there and let him disturb everybody. Take him out. You don't have to do what my mama did to me. <laughs> Listen, I'll never forget I was in a tent meeting in India. This is in India. I'm five years old. I was acting up like any five-year-old would do. She takes me out, puts me in the car, pulls my pants down and spanking me. And a lady in the church comes and sticks her head in there. Now, I'm five years old, but those were my buns over there being exposed. <laughs> and I learned. I learned respect in the house of the Lord. <laughs> I shared this story, but it's true. Jamie was two, it was two years old, wasn't it? She was two. I've shared it before, but it was so profound. It was a profound moment for my wife and I. She was acting. We were pastoring in Honolulu at the time. And, uh, and she knew what was about to happen. Mama grabbed her and was taking her out. She said, don't beat me, Mama. Don't beat me. The whole church heard it. I mean, 
She said it all the way down the aisle. Don't beat me, mama, don't beat me. That girl knew how to manipulate well. But she got what she deserved. <laughs> Are you still with me? You respect the house of the Lord. You don't let your children run around on the stage. What do you think this is? This is not a party place. We can party when we have service and the Holy Ghost comes and you all get knocked out and you're rolling on the floor laughing, shouting, wonderful, that's great. But when it's all over, this is a sacred place as well. So please, watch your kids. Don't let them go running on the stage. Because if I grab them, it's not a pretty picture. Are we in agreement? Are we in agreement? All right. I don't have a problem with them enjoying wherever they're at in this building. But when they get up here, this is a place where God speaks to his people from. And it's, I'm not into sacred spaces. Please don't, don't get a wrong idea. But there are certain things that you just be careful about. Amen? Fourthly, are you still with me? To be a mentor and to be somebody who's discipled, is we need to be selfless and willing to serve. Paul mentions this in verse 21. Look at that with me. Would you turn there just a second? And you'll notice what he says. He says, um, <clears throat> he says, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now this is interesting to me because... He is saying there are people even in the ministry that are more concerned about themselves than they are about the Lord. That should not take us by surprise. I've been in the ministry 50 years. I could tell you stories that make your head curl. Not just your hair, but your head would curl. That's a joke. Come on, help me out. <laughs> You say, well, what are you talking about? There are people that their interest is in themselves and it's only lip service to the Lord. Please, don't be like that. Be selfless. Be willing to serve. And you are that way. In fact, Epaphroditus risked his life for the work of Christ, Paul says in verse 30. Risked his life. One of the things I tell my staff is, you know, because sometimes we work real, real hard and they're real tired and they go, oh, Pastor, I'm so tired. I tell them, listen, that's the joy of serving here at KC. We never get bored, hallelujah. And none of us have had to shed our blood yet. It's a different perspective when you look at it like that. We haven't had to shed our blood. We may have to someday, but we haven't yet. So, Paphroditus risked his life to go minister to Paul in prison because he didn't know if he'd ever get out of there. They could have arrested him and killed him. And he got sick while he was there. And that brings me then to the fifth thing. We must see God's working in us and through us as a gift and an act of God's mercy. And that's how Paul saw healing there in verse 20, 
7. That's how you see any of the gifts of the Spirit that operates. It's a gift. It's an act of God's mercy. Please hear me. Your prosperity is an act of God's mercy. Yes, we position ourselves to receive prosperity, but everything God has given you, he's given you as a gift of his mercy. We all deserve hell. He's given us salvation. He's given us community. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Everything we have is a gift from him. And that brings me then to the final thing. Keep in mind, we must all be proven. Look at verse 22. Indeed, let me see. Look at verse 22. These numbers are so small in this Bible, I have to really focus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Everybody say, has what? Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Now, Everybody listen to me, because this is a very, very important aspect of being a disciple. I can lay my hands on you, and there can be an impartation of power. That happens very dramatically at times, and you've seen it over the years when I bestow a title of pastor on some. Sometimes the power of God is so great that I'm shaken for a long period of time after that event. You watch, you, you'll see me almost in a daze. And I've seen the power of God shake people, cause them to fly off the platform. I mean, those are moments where the power of God hits people. Those are real moments. But listen to me a moment. Those moments are wonderful moments in God. And they do elevate you into fruitfulness. However, everybody listen. In ministry... Disciples are proven. That is, they are tested. To the degree that you can be trusted is to the degree that God will release to you ministry. Some of you have not passed any of the tests. You get so discouraged, so wiped out, you can't, God's, God's waiting on you to pass a test. You can't go from one grade to the next without passing some tests. Well, it used to be that way. Now they just kind of just pass you on along because they don't want to bother with you. But, and you can almost get through school without even learning to read. And that happens now. But it used to be you had to take tests, and if you passed, you went to the next grade. Are you still with me? It's not any different in God. You pass the test. Sometimes the tests are things you weren't expecting like a frustration in your marriage, and how do you handle that? A frustration with your children, how do you handle that? Somebody doesn't appreciate you that you thought should appreciate you. How do you handle that? Somebody doesn't show up in, you, in ministry, and you have to do twice the work because they didn't show up, and you want to beat them silly. How do you handle that? Are you hearing me? But every one of those things are tests that God is proving you. It's like, it's like metal goes through fire in order to be purified. Testing is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Where it's bad is when it becomes temptation and the enemy uses it to clobber you. But God is always causing his people to be able to go from one place to the next, from glory to glory. And we've got to pass the test. Because if we flunk, we go around the mountain again. 
Remember, the children of Israel went around the mountain for 40 years because they flunked the test. And God had to wait for another whole generation. I don't want him to wait for another whole generation. I want him to use me now. He who has more will be given. If you use what you have, God will give you more. If you don't use what you have, here's what he said. Him who has, more will be given. Him who has not, what he has will be taken away. You're saying, wait a minute, Pastor, that's not fair. Yes, it is. It's reality. It's reality. I took Spanish in high school for three years. I could speak Spanish when I left high school. I don't speak Spanish today other than see and know. Why? I didn't use it. I took Tagalog in school when I was in the Philippines. Do I speak Tagalog? No, I speak a few words. Masara, Malagayong Pasco. You know, I have some phrases that I know, you know. Salamat po, if I'm addressing somebody older than me, po. And on and on and on. But I don't, you know, if somebody's rattling off in Tagalog, I know they're speaking Tagalog, but I don't know what they're saying. And it doesn't help me even if I'd learned Tagalog, because everybody here is Ilocano. <laughs> I should have learned Ilocano. But I didn't live in the Locos Norte or the Wog or all those places. But if, I wish I would have learned. You have to understand, him who has, more will be given. If you're not using what he's given you, you lose it. It's like a language or like anything else. I thought I, I was an all-star basketball player, an all-star athlete in high school. I was playing my grandson, Jonathan, you know, John Leslie. He was only 12. I couldn't dribble, I couldn't shoot, I couldn't jump. Now, in my mind, I thought, I'm the all-star. But in reality, I hadn't played basketball for 30, 40 years. I was the blob on the, on the court. The only way I won was because I was bigger than him. And I shoved him out of the way. And I stood under the basket and kept doing this until it went in. I'm so embarrassed. Why? I didn't play the game for all those years. That brings me then to the final thing. Are you still with me? Our time is up. Let's review. What's the first thing that being a disciple we need to be conscious of? What is it? Take time to be a father or a son. Two, see yourself as what? Co-labors in the cause of Christ. Three, what? Compliment people, give honor, be respectful. The fourth one is what? Be selfless and willing to serve. Here's the fifth one. We must see God's working in us and through us as a, an act of God's mercy. Keep in mind we must all be proven. Here's the final one. Be responsible. Paul would send Timothy to Philippi, send him to Ephesus. He could carry on the work. 
He was Paul's representative. That's how much he was like Paul in what was true in the way he lived. We are all called to be responsible. Everybody listen. Hear me again. Listen. Jesus said it this way. He who is faithful in the little will become faithful in the much. You must hear me. If you're not responsible with the little money you have, why would God give you any more? If you're not a tither with what you have, why should he give you any more? If you're not using your life to bless others, why should he extend your life? Smile at me, please. I'm trying to help you. You be faithful in the little, God will make you ruler over much. Please. And that's the principle in God. Be responsible. You say, well, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just doing this one little task. Then do it well. Be faithful to it. Show up when you're called to be there. I have to close. If we're going to live life to a fullest, we need to be a disciple and we need to make disciples. We live our lives to make God look good. God's waiting on you <laughs> to make him look good. It's interesting we can take on the discipline of learning a trade in a particular job. Why can't we be a disciple? You know, the greatest joy I have is to see others carry on the work. One of the joys of being one church in 370 campuses is to see people just like you who have risen up and are doing great things for God. And many of you in this campus are doing great things for God. Without you, KC could not exist. I rejoice when I see people becoming true disciples and making other disciples. That's what the life groups are all about, and that's what we're praying for, a thousand life groups. Would you stand to your feet? Our time is up. Oh, it's been good to be with you tonight. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.